0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Jones of all ages, welcome to the main event of the evening. It's Talking Joe with Chief and Steve. Yo, Joe.
1: Yo. yo, Joe.
0: Hey, 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 it's me, the Chief, joined by my good buddy, a South African in Australia. Where are you? (laughs) Hey, it's SJub7
1: in sunny Queensland. What's up, oh, Chiefy? How are you doing, my friend?
0: Well, order of the day, my mood has increased by about 120%. <laughs> Why's that? We've got a special guest in the studio, and it's none other than G.I. Joe Hall of Famer, S.L. Galant. Shannon, how are you, my good friend? I'm good. We're so pleased to get this uh, fabled guest on the line, the man who has drawn more issues of G.I. Joe Real American Hero than any human being in existence. Is it close to 100, maybe?
2: I think it's. I think it's actually over there. But I... is it?
0: It's over a hundred. Wowzers! Yes. So um, we are we are over the moon to have you on the show, and we will be discussing in uh, the comic talk section issues two twelve to two fifteen. Death of Snake Eyes. But uh, right up front, just oh, wanna chief spoiler, dude. How
1: could you say that? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's written on the cover, man. Oh yeah, man, yeah.
0: Straight up front, I just want to dig into a little bit of background about your history with G.I. Joe. Was it a franchise that you played with as a kid, either toys or comics or cartoons, or did that come later, and and how did you get onto the, the book itself?
2: Um, I was never into the toys as a kid because I was a, a little bit older for that. Uh, I was a Star Wars kid, so those were my toys, and then by the time the G.I. Joe kind of got relaunched, because my brother, my older brother, used to have the like, big 12-inch figures, I was more into the comic and the cartoon definitely. And that was also like the early 80s and stuff, so ninjas were big, which is what pulled me into the and in the whole G.I. Joe thing at that time. Yeah. So it was it was more that. It was more the comics and the cartoon and Storm Shadow specifically being like, you know, a cool ninja. So.
0: Definitely, definitely cool.
2: As far as the book, getting involved with the book, I ended up coming at it through because i did a series for idw called mac bolin which was kind of like a pulp spy espionage you know james bondy type book and i had done that and that was when the movie was coming out the first movie and they were doing movie prequels and they asked me to do that so i was working on the prequels uh and then when they relaunched real american hero they asked me if i could take over the book because apparently the First artist that started it, Augusta Padilla, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. He was having problems communicating with Larry because of a language barrier or something.
0: Uh, okay, yeah. I met him at a convention in the UK and uh, he did a nice little snake eye sketch in the inside cover of one of my custom binds, but um, he actually kind of mentioned that I there was some difficulty communicating between me and him because obviously English wasn't his first language. And, you know, I kind of said to him, well, we see you on the book again. And he kind of indicated that the, the language barrier was was a barrier to him coming back on. So, well, you know, I liked his work there, but uh, I, in a way I'm kind of glad that the barrier was there because then we got you for so long. Oh, well,
2: I don't want to take anybody's job, but <laughs> I can't complain about the work. Yeah,
0: yeah, excellent. Just... Briefly, I think you've mentioned this on other panels previously or other interviews, but um, was there a specific thing that led to you coming off the book? And is it a, a possibility that we'll see you again?
2: Well, originally what happened was is I, I was a huge $6 Million Man fan as a kid. That was my first superhero. And okay. there was talk about them doing the crossover, and I was practically begging to do it because I had tried to get onto the Bionic Man comic as a you know a normal book. Just to draw it. Yeah. So the intent was, my intent originally was I'd do the miniseries and then come back onto the book. Right? Well, apparently they decided to just kind of move on without me. All right. And I've done some covers. Uh, I, you know, I did a fill-in issue. So I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, they're, they're kind of rotating through uh, Diaz and Robert Atkins and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. a couple other guys. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I don't. It's not something I'm against. Yeah.
0: Uh, okay, we'll dig into more depth about you know um, processes of drawing the comic and relationships with the editorial and Larry when we maybe dig into the issues themselves. That's fine. Um, but right about now, I think everyone here is quite hungry, so it's time for the snack police: potato chips, crisps, biscuits, and candy. Washing them down with a whiskey or a brandy, chewy sweets, cookies, built around jerky snacks, running free because we got them at our mercy. We're snackers, attackers, bad mother truckers, and we're eating all the crackers, munchers, crunchers, knockout snacks like we're heavyweight punchers. The snack police are in there. His out. So, I have got a snack. What about you two fellas? I know S Jobs has got one. Did you manage, Shannon, to uh, pop down to the local grocery store and uh, pulloin some snacks? I did. Excellent
2: but they're, they're Japanese. I hope that qualifies.
0: Well, anything qualifies on this show, so that's all good. And in fact, just before we went on air, we were talking snacks, me and Steve, and um, I had forgotten that the segment was supposed to be snacks that you've never had before. Now, fortunately, I think all the snacks that I've had, I've never had before. And um, <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, apart, from the, apart from the cake, the chocolate cake, yes, I have had chocolate cake before. Chocolate some cake, stuff.
1: quinoa, corn nibs, or whatever they were. You're, uh, the thing that you barrel through, like like twelve okay. packets. Come All on. Right, so maybe I
0: have had some of these snacks before, but I've definitely got one. <laughs> some. Um I'm going to kick us off this week, and then we'll let Shannon go second. So I have a packet of rymut paleksa kukradasikamane. I butchered that. I think that's Polish, but I'm not, no one knows for sure.
1: <laughs> Sounded <of> Japanese.
0: <laughs> these are these are massive puffed corn sticks. I'm going to open them up. I've got no idea. They are like giant what's its I'm going to have a go. Yeah, they are like... Just put a piece of polystyrene... You know you know, you, you get those polystyrene bits in your packaging to keep it all from breaking. Mm. Packing like peanuts, yeah. Packing are, peanuts, except they're yellow instead of white. Oh.
2: Are, they, are they like the biodegradable packing peanuts that if you like, wet them <laughs> down, they turn into mush?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, I will not be eating the rest of this packet. It's two thumbs <laughs> down. Oh, shit. All right, I will. I'll, I'll finish as much as I can. Just save it for when
2: you're drunk, because then everything tastes the same anyway. Yeah.
0: What I do have, though, to wash it down with, is, is a can of Old Jamaica Grape Soda. Sparkling grape flavour soft drink. And um, it does definitely look like some of the dreadnoughts would drink, so... This, uh, mm. a, a drink is not a requirement for this show, but because it was grape soda, we had a special guest on. I thought I'll push the um, boat out and let's uh, have a go. Oh, yeah. That is grapey. It is sodery. It is just what you want to wash down the taste of this. Of this I'm not going to pronounce it again, this uh, corn snack <laughs> thing, but I, I that's don't me. think
2: you pronounced it the first
0: time, did you? <laughs> <laughs> ah, to sure. Yes. Um, no, you're right. Uh, so two thumbs down for the uh, <laughs> the wet. The wet kind of corn packing thing and two thumbs up for the grape soda. Shannon, uh, you've got a Japanese <laughs> snack for us. Uh, tell us more about it.
2: Um, okay, I will admit I have had these before. Um, so it was it was a question because everything in, in, in this space, I'm sure you know, is just a nightmare of a pandemic situation. So when you go into the Japanese market now, it's you have to wear a mask, you have to stand six feet apart. And the place is about... 12 feet wide and about 20 feet long anyway, so that means they have, like, one customer in at a time. And they they do try to shuffle you through, because it is actually one of the more popular little stops in, in the DuPont area. So anyway, so what I've got tonight is uh, a thing called a Karento, which is a, apparently a traditional Japanese treat.
3: Mm, and
2: they're made normally from, like, flour, yeast, and brown sugar, and that's it. These are apparently a variation on that called a white sugar one. So it's basically the same thing, but like I guess powdered with white sugar,
1: slightly less healthy.
2: That's what, <laughs> we're gonna take we're gonna take fried yeast or whatever flour and sugar and add more sugar.
1: Yeah, that's it. Refined sugar, the less. Lovely.
2: Yes. that's the American influence. All right. So they they kind of look the closest thing I can describe, which probably won't make any sense to people in Europe, is a churro. Do you have? Churros? Oh yeah,
0: yeah, oh, yeah. I know churros. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
2: Which uh, usually have a cinnamon flavor. So, yes, I uh, should try that.
0: Mm. So they're deep fried, I guess. Oh yeah, it's not good if it's not deep fried. That's it, more flavor.
2: And I would say they actually do kind of taste like a less cinnamony churro. Mm. So sounds I, like
0: sounds like thumbs up.
2: I would give them. A, well, I've had them before. I admit, I I wouldn't give them a thumbs up. They're great snack food, but you probably don't want to finish the whole bag. Even though it's not that big. <laughs> Just I the would, grease alone would probably card, you know, clog up a cartery
0: artery. I would trade the whole pack of those for a whole pack of my... Um, curry yeah, Dianskes. don't do that again. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: In a heartbeat. So, uh, hi, these are good. Good, good, good. And S-Jubs, uh, what are you rocking?
1: Chief, this has been mentioned on Talking Joe before by the British contingent of the podcast. I think Ben might have brought them up. But a Jaffa cake.
3: I've ah, never a had a cakes. Jaffa
1: cake before. Okay.
3: Okay, how?
1: It says, 10 spongy cakes covered in dark chocolate with that squidgy orangey center. Sounds yeah. a lot more like chocolate than a biscuit. But either way, it's, I believe, a
0: tea time snack in the UK. Correct? Yeah, kind of like... Kind of like a, a sweet treat, kind of maybe with your tea. I, I don't know if I mentioned this before when Jaffa Cakes came up in conversation, but I had a friend of mine who tried the Jaffa Cake diet, which he invented. And because you're allowed, you're allowed, because the daily recommended, um, fat, uh, sugar is it, no, sh- something's 90 grams a day. What does that be? That would be, um, saturated fat i think uh no not saturated fat just fat is 90 grams a day recommended allowance and each jaffa cake contains one gram of fat so he figured he could eat 90 jaffa cakes a day (laughs) and fair enough that that would put him on his recommended fat content but i think that would take him way over his sugar content for the day i think he lasted one day on that diet (laughs) And ended up with type 2 diabetes And ended up with type 2 diabetes, yeah Well, I've
1: (laughs) ripped open the packet and pulled out the tray And I must say, on first inspection, the chocolate looks very subpar And the overall size of the thing is a little underwhelming But the proof of the pudding is in the eating
0: I've just got to look at the brand Because in the UK, you would only want to be eating a a McVitie's Jaffa Cake Oh shit, well I've got Jacob's Okay, yeah. right. Okay, We're still a well-known brand. Yeah. All right, all right. Here we go. Oh,
1: a lot softer than I thought. I thought the 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 biscuit itself would have some snap to it. Oh it's just no! Sponge. Come on,
2: man. <laughs> it's the cake bit. Yeah. Hmm.
1: Okay. Now I don't have the best sense of taste anyway, but I really wish there was more citrus to it. But um, yes, dark chocolate and an orange always go well together though i find it's a it's an acquired taste as a child i hated it now as an adult i'm like i'm all about that shit. so i guess this gets one thumb up not what i was expecting i expected more mm. biscuits but uh yeah i guess to a hungry man <laughs>
2: tea is tea <laughs> served see i haven't i haven't had jaffa cakes in a long time i, I can't remember is the orange that synthetic tasting orange or is it like a proper oh hell
1: orange? yeah It's like a a jelly candy orange. It's yeah, very, very divorced from like a real pulpy orange. orange. Yeah, man. Ain't going to get no vitamin C out of these bad
0: boys. (laughs) Every time we have a guest on, one of these things pops up. It's a G.I. Joe pop quiz, pop quiz. Uh It's a G.I. Joe pop quiz, pop quiz. Question one. one. You've had a mysterious envelope come through the door. You open it up. There's a letter inside, handwritten. It says, what are you doing this Sunday afternoon? Why don't you come along to a barbecue? And it gives you an address below. So you pop along to Broca Beach, and there it is. A barbecue is raging along. But now you have to make a choice. What do you choose to eat? Do you have Cobra Commander's Pork Chop, Dusty's Grilled Salamander, or Dr. Mindbender's crock Burger? Oh, I'm,
2: I'm not going to win.
0: Uh, well, I don't know <laughs> if any of them are winning choices. Uh, Cobra Commander's Pork Chop, Dusty's Grilled Salamander... Or Dr. Mindbender's crock burger.
1: The only loser is the vegan. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, true. Bazooka's green salad. Well, I only trust Dusty, but I, I think I'm going
2: to go with the Commander one.
0: Cabra Commander's mm. pork chop. Yeah, you think he knows how to uh, cook up a nice pork chop?
2: Well, it's just harder to screw that up. I'm not going to try Salamander. God knows what Dr. Mindbender
3: put in his <laughs>
0: stuff. <laughs> okay, let's put a tick there. And uh, <laughs> against Cobra Commander's pork chop We'll see if we can make that happen in reality um, No, no, no <laughs> But right now, it's time to talk about some comics It's time for Comic Talk Boom It's Comic Talk, it's Comic Talk, baby Chief and Steve discussing like crazy Larry Harmer riding these bad boys Making sense of the wackiest toys Listen as we talk about story arcs, making noise louder than junky box, talking about character motivations and all the various G.I. Joe fun locations. Okay, so uh, as previously mentioned, we are going to be taking a look at issues 212 to 215, uh, which is the death of Snake Eyes. And you are correct, S. Jubbs. I thought it was just on the inside cover, but now I'm looking at the issues, and it is on the outside cover. And first off the bat... This is obviously a comic marketing ploy to sell more issues. Um, I guess because would it not have been better as a surprise in the in the issues themselves? What's your thoughts on that, Shannon? Uh,
2: I I have to plead the fifth. I can't say that we specifically had a reason. To kill off the most popular character ever in the history of G.I. Joe just to sell more books. Who would do that? That would be <laughs> and unethical. Of course,
0: and of course, if you don't advertise it on the front cover, then, you know, where are you going to get your sales bump from?
2: Well, we, we didn't want to, you know, scare people. You didn't want to cause a nationwide panic.
0: <laughs> How did
1: Larry broach the subject to you, Sean? Like, did he call you up, send you an email? Like, this is where I think we've we've got to take this book.
2: Uh, actually, I will openly admit that Larry and I have had a conversation once. Really? Um, wow. Yeah. Larry and I didn't communicate much during the course of my book, uh, my run on the book. Uh, Larry kind of works off in his little cave and pops yeah. his head up every now and then, drops a script in your lap and then leaves.
0: And then, And then feedback on your issues? You know, there's countless stories of him being a stickler for especially correct... Correct guns and armament. Um, have you seen that that an was.
1: incorrect gun in Mr. Gallant's artwork? No, I haven't. That's what, what I'm saying. You
0: know, I, you know, I, I think you know this is this is primo stuff on the, on the art front, no doubt. <laughs> Look, and Shannon, you've either been
1: grilled within an inch of your life, or you have worked your craft to utter perfection. Because starting with the hardware and just spiraling out into everything, like, may I just be putting it on the record at this point that your technical accuracy, your proportions. Line work, it is on point, buddy. Yeah, and and Steve,
0: Steve is the resident toy expert, and he it every, shocks week, me to hear every week. Every week, you don't have comments. a full
1: collection of the toys to hand yeah. because, like, the specific geometry of these vehicles that don't exist in the real world. To a toy fanatic like me, who like I I know the feel of these plastic toys, you know, like. Like the back of my hand, like they are intimately known to me to see them replicated in art. How
2: intimately are you? I... Oh, man, I, I'm <laughs> running my disturbing. hand all over my tomahawk
1: oh, <laughs> as gosh. we speak. No.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay, okay, I, I, I'm going to jump right to the, the punch. The Ollie stand sequence where we see the underside of the tomahawk, I don't think has ever been reproduced in artwork uh, before or since, and you nailed it. Well, you actually that's mentioned, Shannon, specific... on, a Twitter, on,
0: a, on a Twitter post, you mentioned that the underside of vehicles, if yeah. you didn't obviously have them to hand, was the most difficult part to, to reference, obviously. Yeah, Case in are. point, it is. Yeah.
1: you nailed it, buddy. Even down to the little thumb wheel, which activates the winch. Unbelievable. Well,
2: that, and that's the thing, is, is when, I, when I first came on the book, because of the problems with Padilla, because of the language thing, the editor at the time told me, look, Larry is very specific about weaponry. So that's something you got to get right. Like, if he says whatever gun, use that gun. Don't deviate from that. And so I tried very often to try and get every detail on the gun right. There was only one time that Larry made me change a gun, and that was because he hadn't actually indicated what kind of gun he wanted in the script. And so I put one in, and he was like, oh, that's not high enough caliber. It's not going to go through that window. You've got to change that. (laughs) And so I went back and changed it. As far as the... The toys go. That was the other thing. It's like I knew that's what G.I. Joe fans are into. They're into the toys, right? And so the toys have to be accurate because everybody I knew just as a fan, like before I was on the book, their biggest complaint with anything toy related is that it doesn't look like the toys, which is why you don't see me drawing Transformers because my brain would explode <laughs> trying to get like every little rivet in the same spot and every little, you know... And, but that was the the main thing I wanted to do with the Joe book was make sure I got the toys accurate. And the other problem is is which version. So I always kind of defaulted to the original version just for safety's sake. Yeah, man. But yeah, that underside shot, I because I don't own the toys most of them. That's the hard shot to find. So you you end up going down the rabbit hole for hours looking for that one guy that posted a picture of the bottom side of it on an ebay account <laughs> yeah. you
1: know amazing how ebay does come to our rescue in terms of sourcing images yeah, oh, yeah it's funny boy. it's the plethora of pictures of toys yeah, uh but yeah. yeah once again doff of the hat to you so i've uh, on record said it a number of times that like <laughs> this guy must have an insane toy collection yeah he's nope. out every
0: week he's, he's just out every week so yeah. yeah
1: yeah pretty much he's just extremely good at what he does so your yeah. your attention to detail and the, the hours the the lifetime that you've spent perfecting everything it's 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 appreciated well, a I lot.
2: appreciate that thank
1: you
0: yeah, um, when just before we dig into the the meat in inside not the the meat of the crock burger but the meat inside the covers of these issues um, just looking at the the covers and talking about the covers in general um, is that a case of Larry does the pencils and then you know you're effectively fleshing out that or do you ever get to suggest a cover to larry
2: larry was doing those sketch covers for a long time i don't know if you guys got him over there or not yeah yeah but they were doing variants where he would do a sketch and then i would do a fleshed out version and that's it at first it started out i was doing my own like the the first cover i think i did was the baroness on a
0: on the rug that one. yeah
2: the, was it frostbite i can't remember it was one of the joes like it was basically his uniform yeah and then later on, they started having Larry do the sketch cover, so I was following Larry's. And then he kind of decided he didn't want to do that anymore. And so then I started doing the covers on my own again. And I think for this run, it was just my suggestions to the editor. Larry is kind of like, people think he controls the book in, in a lot of ways, and in a lot of ways he does, and in a lot of ways he doesn't. Basically, the script is what he is in control of. Like You, you basically don't question Larry when it comes to the script. But as far as like the actual production of the rest of the book, he he's kind of hands off because it's I've done my job, I've written it, I'm done with it.
3: Right.
1: Okay. On to the next one. Yeah. He did do a sketch for issue two one three, which you then completed, and that was the um, the death skull head peering over the chessboard with yeah, Serpentor yeah. on the one side yes. and Snake Eyes, Scarlet, and Roadblock on the other. Yeah. Fantastic. And two
0: one two as well oh uh, all right was there a yeah, i'm, I'm looking well? at it. i've got the retailer incentive cover here yeah yeah. that's interesting actually because uh, i didn't pick up until literally two minutes ago that on that cover obviously you've got outback kind of waving the troops on bazooka and then you've also got this forearm which has the the Uashikage tattoo the mm-hmm. hexagram on the on the forearm but at this point in time we don't know that that's sean do we
2: no, that that was what it was hinting at.
0: Yeah, of course. Well, course. The, he's he's brandishing the
1: the was it the Sykes Fairburn uh bayonet mm-hmm. or dagger? Yeah, which yeah. snake eyes, snake eyes, eyes him, yeah. gave him? Which uh, once again, you must have had some insane reference material. Did uh, Larry send you anything? Because getting the the stamp on the 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 blade, the FS, also incredible attention to detail.
2: That's another one of those situations where Larry's is. This is the knife. This is the yeah. type of knife, and. One thing that guys that are into guns and knives do is post a lot of pictures of their collections.
3: I
0: see. <laughs> yeah. So, you know,
2: especially guys in the States, they're very proud of their personal armories.
0: Plenty of source material there. Yes. Yes, yes. You say you don't draw Transformers, but, you know, come on. You There's a there's jet fire here for a start, isn't there?
2: <laughs> well, <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: it, it, this this whole kind of arc of issues with where they kept hinting that there was going to be Transformer-type bots in it, it, it was a nightmare for me. Yeah. Like I said, I, I want things to look consistent. It's like the pit. Like I, I tried to envision when they remodeled the pit and hit, had the new headquarter area, like the new command area where it was like elevated and everything. And that was kind of loosely based on Robert Atkins' redesign of it from mm-hmm. the reboot that he did, that Chuck okay. Dixon did.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: Um, so I was trying to kind of link the series a little bit and. But in my head, I try to keep those things consistent so that when it appears later on, like 10 issues down the road, you're not going, well, where the hell is it now? So those are those things I try to be consistent with. I try to keep those details consistent. And that's the problem with the Transformers is to me, my old man brain can't wrap it around. This is a different bot from that bot. They look the same. (laughs) Yeah. It's not like the Joe vehicles, which look totally different.
0: Yeah. And you're also having to deal, in this arc, especially the first couple of issues, having to deal with lots of different uniform troops. So, you know, we've got the Red Shadows, we've got the Blue Ninjas, there's multiple different types of Viper. So, you know, that's got your work cut out for you just there, you know, maintaining the consistency of all these different troop types.
2: Yeah, you you guys need to post more pictures of the Red shadow stuff. (laughs) Those were the things that were hard to find.
0: Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. From source, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, you've they they look. You know, don't want to wax lyrical. You know, every other sentence, but you've absolutely destroyed it here. They they look amazing. They look on point. They are, you know, just what I envision that the action figure doing if it was fully articulated and, um, you know doing some well, of the stuff in this issue so
2: thank you. I hope so. I was trying.
0: I'll tell you what I do like I do like a bit here where Larry's written a bit of dialogue and the red shadows, they're in they're in the base and the second lot of troops have just been captured by the gi joe guys and they put them in the red shadow uniforms now they're disguised as a toxo viper a techno viper and tele viper and um i think is it red laser says judging from the helmet marks and gear calluses they're now dressed as two techno vipers a Televiper, and a toxo viper you know <laughs> a nice way of identifying uh, people from the their helmet marks and gear calluses ouch <laughs> Very cool. yeah yeah and you've e- you've even drawn like on um on Throwdown's face, like uh, indentations from where the Toxo Viper helmet would have been—very cool. I try. <laughs> I appreciate
2: you noticing. Yeah, love that. Love that. Um,
1: I couldn't help but notice, uh, Mr. Brown, the colorist, uh, uh, the lovingly reproduced Saw Viper that you drew. Oh, on page you colored one, colored it as, as, a, as, a, as a Toxo Viper. The colors are incredible and well matched, but they're just the wrong figure. That must have been a constant headache. Particularly in
0: the coloring process, yeah. Obviously, quick shout out to uh, Brian Shearer on inks and Jay Brown on colors, and Tom Lang on that sure. as well. But, um, but yeah, yeah, I, I had that on my notes. Uh, saw Viper page one. He's got kind of the the purple and green with the with the red gloves and the red trimmings around the helmet. And um, I didn't know because because you forgive know, us,
1: Shannon, if this means absolutely nothing. to oh, you no, no, that's fine. <laughs> But this is a
0: bit bit of background for for Shannon. Uh, like I said earlier, Steve is the resident toy expert. Pretty much knows everything. I am. Not that versed, well versed in the toys or uh, the all the cartoons, but was just you know in the UK grew up reading Action Force and mm. GI Joe when I could get it. So I was very much a comic-based guy. Steve's kind of an all-rounder, and so when I saw this on page one, this Saw Viper, I had no idea. I thought, oh, maybe this is like a a later version of the Saw Viper that had that color scheme. So I was waiting to see if Steve would bring it up in this discussion, and uh, <laughs> I'm glad that you did. So yeah, yeah,
2: a lot of a lot of it too. The, the hard the hard part with a book, and and I am notorious for like, I, George Perez used to call it being a masturbating artist where you put so much detail on something that's never going to see print, it's going to be hidden by a word balloon, or it's not going to get inked fully or whatever. Yeah. And I'm notorious for putting too much detail on a page. Like Brian actually wrote, he he would send me fake pages with like extra notes on them. And I think in one scene where Duke shows up in one of the issues, there's no backgrounds. And Brian literally was, like, sending me pages of notes saying, thank you for no backgrounds, thank you for no backgrounds. <laughs> but that's the thing is, you know, Larry kind of takes his time on the script, and then as a penciler, I take my time on the script, Brian takes his time on the book, and then the last guys, you know, their, their time crunch keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah, of course. You know, so for the color, sometimes it's just a nightmare. Um, for a while, we were doing two books a month for yeah, wow. whatever reason. And so it was literally just crank it out, get it out the door. So sometimes that's how a lot of that stuff happens. It's not because someone didn't care. It's just because you you grab something, and you go, oh, that looks like the toy, and it may be a low res thing, and you you've got the wrong thing, and you're just picking colors.
0: Yeah, we we we, we had some questions uh, from some of the listeners actually. This Mark Seddon had this question about deadlines himself, saying you know reportedly Larry sometimes is quite tight or quite late with delivering scripts. So was there ever points where you start get a sweat on where you start thinking come on Larry I need this script and what what's the because your work is like you said super you know detailed and accurate and that must take time but you never seem to miss an issue you were you know there was no delays to the book and even when you were double shipping you know how much time would you need to deliver the 22 pages or whatever it is of storyline at what point do you start thinking oh shit I am up against it now
2: well, that was, that was one of the things, is early on in the book, like for, I guess, the first half of my run, I was uh, doing a page a day, which is standard in the industry, for, for the States anyway. But because of Larry and the way he works, and Larry likes to kind of take his time and put everything together, you might get the script late. And the problem I was running into is guys that we would bring in to do fill-ins, they would be penciling a book when I was already penciling the book behind it. And if they hadn't gotten to the pages that I needed to reference, I was, there was a disconnect, you know, and I hated things not matching up. So I basically doubled my output. So I started doing two pages a day just to get the book out consistently to have a consistent look. I I didn't want to have to reference other people or wait on other people. And so that's why, like, the second half of my run, there's hardly any fill-in issues at all.
3: Right.
2: But that was a decision I made. And I try to make sure that I get the book in on time from my end so that Brian has his full time to ink it and then Jim has his full time to color. I I didn't want to hand something to them and say, okay, you you have to crank it out with less time because of me.
0: Yeah. So did you have more conversations or more to do with further chains down you know with colors and inks and things rather than you did with larry or was there really not much talking between any of you
2: we didn't really talk to larry that much brian if you if you get him on the show he's a funny guy he's notorious for saying that like, oh, every time he meets larry which has been multiple times larry's like uh, who are you again
3: because <laughs> he larry just you know
2: doesn't register i talked to brian probably more than anybody because brian may email or or text and go well, what is the thing on you know page eight panel four right. what's he holding Uh, And I may send him the reference that I used or just say, oh, it's that old Coleco game, football. You know, just reference that. Okay. But Larry was the guy I probably talked, I mean, uh, Brian was the guy I probably talked to the most. Jim, occasionally I would send color references to, but that was more for like Easter egg
3: stuff.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which you put quite a few in, you know, if the eagle eyed uh, readers were paying attention, then they'd find quite a lot of nice little nuggets in your work, I think.
2: Yeah, and sometimes I thought they were obvious, and Jim would color it t- something totally different. He'd be like, oh, it was supposed to be the TV Captain America van. It's supposed to be blue, not yellow, or whatever he would yeah. make it. And I'd be like, yeah, those that get it will get it.
0: Yeah, very cool, very cool. Um, I'm just uh, flicking through the pages of this issue. I'm not too sure what the 3D printer added to this issue. You know, when Serpentor's <laughs> in his back to tank, getting health back up Luke Skywalker style – to complete
1: the look, man. Yeah, but why? His why couldn't
0: cowl. Why couldn't that collar just have been lying around? What's amusing to me is
1: why was he healing up with his full uniform on anyway? Oh, in the actual <laughs> in the actual rejuvenation
0: tank, he's got his full kit on.
1: Yeah, he's gone from being a very nude serpentor to like I guess the jo- the Joes were like, give him his battle togs. Might make him. Uh, that much more enthusiastic about his new role as the the CEO That's what I'm saying
0: why 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 did Larry feel the need to put in this 3D printer thing with the the snake cow collar thing, why couldn't that have just been with the rest of his gear?
2: Who knows with Larry? It, it, it could be that he saw it on TV and goes, ooh, I, I like that 3D Well, printer. that's what I'm
0: saying, yeah. Maybe 3D printers were kind of a hot new thing in March 2015. <laughs>
2: Probably.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: It's an expression of his, like, electro-telekinesis,
0: Chief. Oh, sorry, yes. We'll it's come the on the to the telekinesis the first right of now. the
1: fact that he can manipulate the environment just using his mind. Well, you know what's funny <laughs> is
0: I've worked
2: with Larry Scripps enough that I could almost tell you what he had been watching... Like that week or the week before the script came in.
3: Right like there, I do tell.
2: Well, there was that one episode or one issue where they fight the Asian robot and she jumps up onto the ceiling.
3: Yeah, and, Exorcist style. And she's style. Very,
2: very like, yeah, very kind of like Japanese, The Room or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And I know Larry watches a lot of Japanese cinema,
3: so mm. it's like,
2: okay, Larry, I know what you've been watching like, lately. <laughs> thanks for that. You
1: know? <laughs> Chilling um, stuff, though, by the way, and once again, fantastically illustrated.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just the the, the movement, you know. And work. I'm looking at the last page of that issue where uh, Snake Eyes and Stalker and Scarlet—they're all kind of falling down, and they have to reach out and grab them. And um, Serpental's now supposedly got the upper hand. And right here, we get another time for another little bit. It's time for a Larry Harmatism,
3: <laughs>
0: because Snake Eyes says you have to. Charlie, Mike. Snake Eyes says. Uh, sorry, no. Uh, Stalker says. Uh, I've got Scarlet Snake Eyes, you have to Charlie Mike. Yes, yes, I don't even know what I'm looking at. But um, uh, one of Larry Harmer's uh, regular... um, Though,
1: there is an erroneous word balloon in a forthcoming issue.
0: Oh, yeah, don't they attribute... uh, A a speech balloon has been attributed to Snake Eyes when it should have been attributed to Suspental. Indeed. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Um, Or someone
1: else in the scene. Maybe it was one of the Joes, but... uh... Yeah. yeah, Snake Eyes and got so, very wordy for a second.
0: So just to just to help me out, because uh, regular listeners will know that my memory is awful and that I am very slow on the uptake to understand things, even though I read these issues this morning, uh, I'm still not 100% sure what's going on. So, so, they, so Serpentor is supposed to be controlling this artificial intelligence, kind of extraterrestrial eyeball sentient thing, which is now manifested in the guise of a giant robot that he's controlling. But unbeknownst to the Joes, Cobra have also developed a super weapon robot thing. And Serpentor's now on the loose, and he wants to do what? It's just world domination now, is it? I'm not sure.
2: Well, what else would he do? He's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not going to open like a chain of restaurants or something. Yeah. Well, you? there you go. That's it. That's fine. I'm up S- to speed. Serpentor sushi, one on every corner.
1: <laughs> did you have any specific brief when it came to like creating these giant Mecca or no.
2: was it all your baby uh, it was basically just kind of a, the, the eyeball thing I never knew what he was doing with that
0: <laughs> no one did. neither uh, did we <laughs> yeah.
2: and the as far as the, the robots go it was just kind of implied that they would look very transformer esque. okay Um, And so I just tried to, I basically took a transformer and tried to alter it slightly, thinking it's going to be the same tech, or Cobra's trying to copy that, or whatever.
1: Bit of a bait and switch. I do like the fact that, uh, you know, we sent her around this gigantic eye, thinking Mm. they're probably a pair of them, but you went with the kind of the monoptic uh, shockwave design for the, for the, 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 the head. Yeah, nice, nice move there.
2: That was really just, okay, the eye's got, I've established a size for it. Yeah. So it wouldn't be... The robot wouldn't be big enough to have two of them. <laughs> it was really just kind of like covering my own butt as far as the sizing issue.
1: Very cool. And the fact that uh, it avoids having a nose. Because <laughs> then that would be like protruding beside the eye like a giant mountain range, right?
2: No, you don't want it yeah. to look like an abstract painting.
1: Uh, indeed, indeed. And the other, the the sort of Revenge Cobra Red Shadows creation?
2: Uh, wh- which one?
1: Uh, they So Cobra has a... Uh, a response robot that they created, which gets mm. very quickly dispatched by this extraterrestrial robot that uh, Serpentor is controlling. Mm. Um, it's kind of a dark gray or blackish design. I don't know. It has some essence of like Jetfire to it. Was there, a, once again, a specific reference that you were going for?
2: No, it's, it's basically, I mean, here's the one Transformer toy I have. And <laughs> I'm going to draw that and I'm going to change bits nice. and try and make it look like a generic Transformer toy.
1: It's a Transformer I would love to own. It's a cool-looking bot, man. Yeah,
0: yeah. We we try. There's quite a lot of intrigue going on here uh, in these issues, uh, one of which is kind of understated when compared to the the Snake Eyes, Sean kind of following a similar path plot point, but it's Red Laser. Um, Red Laser is kind of referenced early on by Black Major as someone we can't let be captured or harmed Red Laser has their helmet. They have their helmet on for all of these issues. So even by the end of this storyline, I don't think the reveal is there. Now, I have read these uh, and multiple issues past that, but only when they came out. And again, I can't remember who actually is underneath that helmet for the Red Laser, but it's hinted at as being someone important um, for for the sake of my own sanity rather than spoiling it for me. Does that get resolved, who is under that helmet?
2: Hmm.
0: Just she a like, yes or no, no will do.
2: <laughs> I have no idea. It's it's one of those things. Like Larry could reference it later, and it could be somebody completely different in his head.
0: Right.
3: Okay.
2: So he may use red laser, but whoever he wrote in as being the person that wore the helmet, it could be totally different.
0: Okay, I didn't know if it was in the next couple of issues. Where no. uh,
3: okay, right, I, I know
2: that we have one of the characters show up later in like a um, Asian underground base. Right. Like a like in a, a Southeast Asia kind of. Okay headquarters and there's a guy in that that's not covered and he's a retro but i i don't right. know i can't remember if that's laser blaster
0: because there is there is one point in here where red laser does actually speak japanese or someone is saying something in japanese then that and that would be they, him they, later they, on. they interpret it yeah, yeah yeah into english that would be him later on
1: well chief you'd be hard pressed to find a issue of battle action force where it's not referenced that red laser is in fact japanese <laughs> They really play that note pretty hard in that comic. Yeah, yeah. So I guess Larry was uh, maybe just putting an Easter egg in there for all-time Action Force fans. Like, yes, I get it. This guy is Japanese. Probably, yeah.
0: yeah. And and the other bit of intrigue, the main bit of intrigue, is the parallel path that Sean takes in becoming Snake Eyes. I, at the time, I think five years ago, I was like, "Uh, I'm not sure. But now rereading it, I don't... I don't think I actually am um, as offended as I was first time round. I think I I'm I'm o I'm okay with it in terms of I'm talking about the disfigurement, the vocal cords going. It was it at the time I thought that's just way too close to, you know, mirroring snake eyes. But um now, uh, no, you know, you know, I, I, I quite like it now, I think.
2: I think it was Larry's kind of solution for, okay, I got to kill Snake Eyes, but I want to have Snake Eyes. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, Caesar's dead, long live Caesar or whatever yeah. kind of situation.
0: And it would have been weird if someone else, else pulled on that, that kind of commando uniform and looked like Snake Eyes but was talking, that wouldn't have sat well, I don't think, or gelled or been expected. So how else do you have the character not speak – then unless they've taken a vow of silence, then you need to do something to actually physically make them not be able to speak.
2: Well, plus you have a character that was established in the original series. So there's a connection for, yeah. the, for the fans in a lot of ways. I mean, it's, like, it's kind of like when um, the Falcon took over for Captain America. It's, it's almost like a passing of something as opposed to just some guy picking up the shield. So it's—I I think it's that kind of thing where it's the fans are a little more comfortable with it because it is someone they have a connection to. Yeah,
0: and you know, like they say, they want to keep up the guise that Snake Eyes is still alive. So, yeah. you know, go to every means, every means possible, or, or everything to to make that ruse be believable. But, but um,
1: Chief, your reaction to the death of Snake Eyes is not uncommon. I mean, obviously, it sent huge shockwaves through the community. Like it was like what the actual um you know like not everyone is 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 cynical like me and kind of shies away from the the golden boy of gi joe mythology and is like oh no snake eyes again uh a lot of people like he is the draw card you try to eliminate him and replace him their enthusiasm for the story will be diminished but just like you rereading this story uh it's handled in such a way that it kind of, we needed this. We needed a, a world without snake eyes, if if for no other reason than to finally know what that would, would, would be like and what that would mean. And yeah. it gave us one of the most poignant issues, I'd say, in recent memory.
2: Yeah. My biggest concern, though, is, is as a germaphobe, you, you just came out of a flaming thing, your head's on fire, and you put on someone else's sweaty <laughs> mask. Uh, the word infection mean
1: anything no just Uh, dude at this point sean collins is nigh invulnerable and i'll tell you why the toxo viper file card bangs on for a good chunk of its uh, text about how that suit is basically built by the lowest bidder it is the cheapest form of protection anyone can ever wear in a hazardous environment for it to have gone into outer space and then survived re-entry. Yeah, man, this this guy's uh, not afraid of a few germs, let me just say. <laughs> yeah.
0: Two bits around this period of the comic that I really... One I like and one I don't particularly like. One, I love the fact that you've drawn little fangs on Serpentor. Mm. Very cool. Very cool. That kind of harkens back to, I think, his original appearance. We chatted on the show last week about this, didn't we, Steve? Yeah, I think...
1: W- were you referencing Rod Wiggum's uh, run on show? Yeah. Uh, and the sort of... Serpentor's initial creation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at that point.
2: Yeah. And that's probably the references that I was using on it.
1: Wonderful. It's something that is often overlooked, but yeah, it's almost as if there is some kind of serpent-like DNA that kind of got snuck in there somehow. Maybe yeah. in a very kind of Kurt Connors, the lizard sense. Dr. Mindbender was like, hmm, let's give this guy oh, yeah. some additional
0: resilience. Here's, a, here's an admission for you. Back, this is before I'd seen the cartoon or anything, I only read the comic. I used to call him Serpentor. <laughs> 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 Examot. Yeah, Examot and Serpentor. Um, uh,
1: you know what? Larry Homer himself has been quoted as saying don't criticize a person's pronunciation. It means that they learnt words through reading. So yeah, there nice, you go. Nice. Drops there the go. mic, man. <laughs> um,
0: one thing I wasn't. Overly pleased about Larry. One of bits, Larry's bit of dialogue here is when uh, Serpentor is beaten up on um, Snake Eyes, and Duke says to Scarlet, "Stand down, Scarlet. Joe and I have got this." I thought it was a bit insulting to Scarlet, or, or is it more that she's got a personal involvement here, and he doesn't want that to cloud not her judgment but her combat ability?
2: I'll save comment on this for when we get to one of the later issues. Okay, Remi- re- ask me again at
0: this about that. Okay. All right. Oh, interesting. Ooh. Interesting. Uh,
1: doesn't he say stand down? Is this because he's about to throw that grenade?
0: No, he's pulled a, he's pulled a shooter on oh, right. him and yeah, Joe, yeah. and then okay. Joe throws his gun at, at him, um, and then he gets the grenade out later. But, um, yeah, it felt a little bit like kind of male chauvinism there. But, um, anyway, we'll, we'll check out Shannon's response to that later. The next issue we come to is, I guess, would this be the second ever silent issue? No, the third. There was 21, there was 85, which was the SFX one. And then this one here, 214, is, is the third Real American Hero silent issue, I guess. What was the kind of direction here from Larry? Was it more detailed panel descriptions? Or, I mean, did, does he work in the Marvel style anyway? Or... How how in-depth does Larry go on a, on a normal issue of, of Real American Hero in terms of um, what he gives you?
2: He does write in the old Marvel style. It is very kind of like a synopsis of a page as opposed to panel one, panel two, panel three. And Larry kind of describes, the, it's a paragraph, and he basically says each sentence is a panel. Right. So it may be a six-sentence paragraph or a five-sentence paragraph. Usually he does not include dialogue. Occasionally he will. But most of that is he, he bases the dialogue on what he sees when he gets the artwork back. Got it. For this, he was he was kind of, you know, because it's a silent issue, it, it didn't really change how the script read. The only thing he was very adamant about was certain details or certain characters. Um, Brian and I refer to this as the Weepy Joes issue. Right. And we've, we've often talked about opening a bar called Weepy Joes, Come Cry In Your Beer. <laughs> um, and we even we even designed a logo at one time we haven't fleshed it out but it was going to there's a I have a great photograph of Brian with like a fake tear on his you know on his cheek and nice. he's got his like army hat on he's, he's saluting nice so ask Brian about that if you, if you have him on the show but yeah this this episode this issue was basically just a drawn out goodbye to Snake Eyes and how he impacted everybody in the in the Joes
0: so so from a personal point of view what was your did you have any not personal connection to the Snake Eyes, but was he one of your favorites or was he just another character in a large ensemble cast?
2: He, he was one, honestly, he was one of the guys that got me into the book because he was a ninja. Right. You know, Snake Eyes origin issues, like back in the early 20s, you know, mid twenty issues, where they explain how he went to Japan and studied with Storm Shadow's family and so forth. Those were the issues that got me into Joe. Like, I, I wasn't on early on. I was, when it became much more ninja-oriented, the Silent Castle and so forth. That was when I kind of came on board, yeah. Because um, that was also the time period where you know the Shokasugi films were coming out, you know, the Ninja, and Revenge of the Ninja, and anything right. with a ninja was all about.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. Um, and you... So I, I, I had some affection, but it wasn't like a lot of guys.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm gonna just move over to pages two and three, and this is a segment that I thought would never come back, uh, but it's time for Can Sjub name the Joes. Here we go name the joes i said stephen's gotta name the joes is there a clue in the character pose maybe the outfit or the funky clothes do i spy a pair of pantyhose some facial hair or distinctive nose stephen needs to id the joes knock them over like dominoes or larry Hammer's polyphonic prose can s job name the joe can he indeed
1: firstly the... shannon did you have a checklist from larry as to how many characters he wants to see depicted at this funeral. What were you working off of?
2: He just said as many Joes as we could fit, if okay. I remember correctly. He had some specific because they were seen in the shot. Hmm. But I basically sat down with like the old Marvel Universe guide or whatever you know for the Joes. Right. And I just kind of made a checklist of like, okay, because my copies of the pencils, I actually have all the characters labeled. Yes. So anybody you're wrong <laughs> about, I can tell you.
0: Ah, oh, do you have them before you right now?
1: Yeah, wonderful.
0: Well, ah, be a- so I think Steve sure? had previously gone back and counted sixty-two joes as as drawn in these pages prior uh, when we were talking about it in a uh, during Cobra's Pit Invasion, and we were talking about how many joes were actually on base at any one time, and you kind of thought sixty-two, and I think I've just counted seventy here. So you were you were close, Steve. You were close on a. How many Joes oh, there might Oh, come have been. on,
1: Chief. They've pulled in all the reserves. You know, I, Anyway, when, anyway. I, when I came up with that number, yes. I was basically working backwards from the fact that Cobra Commander had the, made the assumption that the, the pit was now staffed by a skeleton crew. Right, okay. So I was like, okay, how many Joes have we seen on active assignments
0: right, for okay. him to make that assumption? Anyway, moving on. Anyway. Uh, top row, Jeez. left to right. Um, Crucify me. It's, it's all on you. Look, go for it. Top row, left to right.
1: Okay, top left, yes. starting there. We've got Spearhead and Max, then Backblast, Downtown, Recoil, Scoop, Shockwave. I'm gonna say Ambush is next, then yep. Bullhorn, Captain Gridiron, Freefall, yep. Pathfinder. Ooh, Shannon, you're gonna have to help me now.
2: That's a filler.
1: Okay. I made
2: up, I made up a guy. <laughs> uh, well the thing was is that's where the uh the join uh, is the page yeah yeah yeah. so that's somebody i knew uh, didn't matter so like if you go directly down yeah there are characters that if they don't end up in the book it's okay because technically they're not supposed (laughs) to be part of joe anyway
1: exactly so we've got (laughs) well you want to do the reveal don't you who wants to say the name of this character chief you're a wrestling fan what sergeant slammer (laughs) indeed the one and the same yes no maybe sergeant slaughter of course yeah 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 yeah. yeah. good old rob remus i i I wonder if his agent knows that he's made an appearance on the pages of gi joe shh nobody tell him Anyway, uh, moving but, past the page turn, yes. we have Rampart, Super Trooper, Salvo, Stretcher, Sub-Zero, Topside, Heavy Duty, Tracker. And once again, Shannon, I'm going to default to you. Who
2: is this, that guy in the gray? You know what? That's actually one of the few characters I didn't label. Oh, uh, knowing, I didn't knowing me, Knowing me, it's probably supposed to be a blue ninja.
1: <laughs> Masters of disguise. All right, moving to the second row yes, down, please. iceberg, someone obscured by the flagpole. Yeah, was um, it footloose? Who is actually yeah. deceased?
2: Yeah, I did that too. That was. I, I can't remember if I put crankcase in here too. uh
1: Then we have some original thirteen guys. So I'm gonna say short fuse. Yep. And zap.
2: Zap. Yep.
1: Great, okay, cool. Leatherneck, Lifeline, yeah. Recondo, yeah. Hmm. Ripcord. Yep. Blowtorch, yep. Lowlight, Sergeant Slaughter. Sci-Fi yeah. Foss Draw Blizzard, yeah. Budo, Barbecue, Hit and Run, Lightfoot, uh, Muskrat, Repeater, Hardball, Um Sorry, no, did we have barbecue already? Oh sh Oh it's Charbroil! Ah, yes. You used a modern charbroil design. Oh, you're so saying next to Budo. Budo and hit and run, okay. Between Budo and Hit and Run is charbroil, which makes the guy on the far end barbecue. barbecue. Yeah. Nice, nice. Um, we then have cross-country, which then makes me question who drives the havoc uh, in now, a later page.
2: It's actually Dial Tone. What? But without his stuff on.
1: Well done. Shit, so if you I... take
2: off the backpack, which is what everybody recognizes him for... Yeah,
1: and the moustache. Which you can't really see at <laughs> that w- this, you yeah, know. That distance. would have been artist masturbation, wouldn't it, uh, um, if you'd included that. Okay, very good. Jeez, I'm kicking myself. for not getting that now. But uh,
2: Well, I, you know, come on, man. That's how you recognize the characters is the gear. Uh,
1: no, I should do better than that. Uh, moving down to the next row, starting off with rock and roll, then mm. Airborne, mm. Uh, another obscured character. Uh, did you have a f- sort of filler name for these guys?
2: no it was just because you're not going to see him it was yeah, just put a un- you know gl- usually i would just draw grunt because it was <laughs> nice. like the standard under uniform
1: nice grunt or lola his uh globe trotting yeah. super spy wife <laughs> uh we then have gung-ho uh i'm gonna go with frostbite then chuckles uh tripwire junkyard Mutt, lady j flint outback uh,
2: the fridge um, he is not one of the shows
1: Oh, indeed. Yeah, no, this can't be the fridge. Uh, he looks no, dead. it He's is. Is. <laughs> just legally nuts. Nice. No, indeed. Um, the Late but uh, Resurrected Sneak Peek, Jinx, Falcon, Law, Order, Tunnel Rat, Airtight, Alpine, Mainframe, Bazooka, Dusty, a wheelchair-bound roadblock. Nice touch, that. Um, Spirits and Freedom. Then last row, Hawk, Duke, Stalker, scarlet joe and jane how did yep. i do 98 uh, <laughs> percent all the listeners have been bored to tears by this great radio <laughs> thank you chief for doing hey, that hey uh, striking en- my ego <laughs> hey if i if
0: i enjoyed it and you enjoyed it that's all that matters
1: <laughs> well hopefully this double page splash will be lovingly reproduced on all the socials so yes, yes. if you've suffered through this uh, your suffering <laughs> comes to an end when you get to pour your eye over this incredible where's Wally or who's who yes. of the G.I. Joe infantry roster.
0: Yes. There Can I think. ask a really stupid question? The kind of coyote that's in these pages, this is not Timber 3. It's just no, a, no. a random a random yes. one-eared coyote.
2: Yeah, he was supposed to be just kind of like a desert coyote.
0: Yeah.
2: It just kind of wanders in and is like, well, what the hell's going on? Yeah. So...
0: It's been said by a
1: number of fans that Snake Eyes clearly has some kinship with wolves or with canines. Like, there's definitely some connection there. They they kind of like his vibe, if nothing else. Yeah, yeah, definitely. and this is wonderful. It's sort of a bond between Soldier and the animal kingdom. Yeah, like I appreciate it, man. Most powerful movies.
0: moment in the issue for me is actually Stalker breaking down. Um, it would have been very easy for that to be Scarlet, I think, to be the one who, you know, was overwhelmed by the situation. But here, it being Stalker, that was really, for me, it was like, wow, I didn't see that coming. And, you know, I can see the anguish on his face. It's, 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 it's real. So
2: now See, this is what goes back to the thing I was talking about before.
0: Right. Because
2: my whole point is, is A, if Stalker is going to be the one that loses it and not Scarlet then why wouldn't she be tough enough to get engaged in the fight earlier? Yeah. But the other thing, too, is I'm a little pissed off at Scarlet for not being more impacted because you
0: slept with the dude. Yeah, it's, it's your lover. You know.
2: <laughs> yeah, this isn't like some guy that you worked with that you're like, oh, okay, I feel bad. This is the person that you supposedly were in love with. Yeah. So I, that was the, the scene that I was kind of like, I, I don't know if this makes sense or if it does make sense for me, but that was the way Larry had written it.
0: Yeah, maybe it's off-panel that she's having a breakdown.
1: I would say it is off-panel, and there's a there's a lovely little bit of synergy. I don't know if you realised it, but Mr. Fuso's cover with Scarlet grieving over the casket... Hey, let me have a no.
0: look, quickly. Oh, yeah, yeah. There yeah. could
1: be a moment where she loses it, and that's when the, the pallbearers place Snake Eyes inside the C-130, and that's where she's, like, she's actually saying goodbye. Like, we don't see it... In the issue but if you kind of read into it with that cover like that's where she absolutely loses it and we she is spared having that moment that very personal very intimate moment kind of shown front and center right in front of our faces I I don't know I'm just spitballing ideas but when I saw that cover I was like I was I was actually a little bit um, choked up myself
2: well that was my only gripe with with the concept of killing off snake eyes because in essence that's the only romance that you have in Joe, like the, the only confirmed true romance going on. And my argument was, is because there's a, a very outspoken fan in the States called Olivia Tien, who's a sweet girl, but she only followed Joe because of their romance. Okay. And so I figured, well, where you have one fan, there's got to be at least a handful or more that feel the same way. And so I was kind of bummed that they were getting rid of the one kind of emotional connection between characters on that level out of the book. So at the end of the issue, I tried to reestablish the Flint Lady J relationship. Yes,
0: yep. That's like kind of like that.
2: A, this is the replacement one or like if you're going to go down the romance lane, these are the characters that haven't gotten attention but it's always kind of been hinted at or or commented on. So that that was why at the end they reach out for each other.
1: Yeah. Nice touch. And uh, it feels like um there's almost like a closing of the loop. I don't know if you're aware of it, but in one of the, uh, the classic issues from the, the Marvel run, Flint and Lady J have uh, a bit of uh, friction at the elevator entrance to the pit. Lady J actually clocks Flint because he's, he's being a bit of a shit. And it's almost in the same location.
0: Oh, That's when, uh, uh, that's when the, the team of um, Stalker Snowjob, Outback and Quick Kick... They get yeah, trapped on totally. the outback makes it out and Stalker, no, Flint says, oh, didn't he, he left the team behind or something like that. Is that the, no, mm-hmm. this, is that the one? And then Stalker. Uh, no, well, Fl- Flint
1: was just pissed off with, uh, with Snake Eyes and Scarlet. Oh, when gone they gone fake off, their death. rescue and faking their death and, and making him feel foolish as a result. Anyway, so he, she clocks him one. But in more or less the same location, they're kind of sharing this this moment. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a really really nice touch.
0: Oh, now I now I see the cover you're talking about. The the Fuso cover is from the next issue, two fifteen. Yes. Now I see it. Yeah, with the casket. Yeah. Sorry. Oh right.
1: Yeah. Okay. So wrong, wrong issue then. Damn yeah, it.
0: Next issue is the one. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's got uh, it's got Shannon's cover with the boots and the the sword and the UZ, which is uh, it's a. It's great cover.
1: It's interesting doing these issues in overview, you know, having the luxury of seeing the next issue. But uh, for people at the time reading this and having this silent issue and having no idea where the book is going from there, well,
0: bombshell. Yeah, yeah. And the first page on the next issue, which is the last of the storyline, it's you're, you're getting quite a lot from Sean here, even though, you know, now he's horrifically burnt, he's got no vocal cords, he's writing answers down on the on the notepad, even the, you know, the way he looks, you know, Shannon's done a great job of conveying a lot from his eyes, especially, you know, the, the kind of torment and sorrow that he's feeling about not only the death of Snake Eyes, but, you know, what, what lies in store for him. You know, he's now effectively KIA and assuming that a completely new, new guy is a new role and, you know, wonderfully portrayed in the art here. I'm just going to take that and run with it. It's <laughs> all mine.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah. Lovely work with the night creepers. The action sequence to tail end the, the issue is my favorite kind of action sequence. Zero dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> All too often in a, you know, once ho- Larry gets the, you know, the book back, I, I see him kind of inserting extraneous banter between characters that are locked in combat. And it's very heavy on the ninjas. But to have this kind of night ops team silently dispatch these, you know, otherwise elite uh, Cobra ninjas. Yeah, that's wonderful work. Very man. violent,
0: very violent here. As it should be, man. What's the, the muskrat's got? The kind of entrenching tool, is it? And he's he's, he's going to work.
3: <laughs> yeah,
0: jeez. Was
1: that in Larry's script that muskrat, uh, you know, issued using a firearm and instead just went with a close quarters melee weapon?
2: I'll oh, I'll. Oh. Almost guarantee it. I would have to go... I still have the scripts. I would have to go back and look, but yeah, most likely.
1: Incredible.
0: Um, is is this an Easter egg I've just spotted here? It's in the first few pages after Scarlet and Sean seen scene has cut away. We're now in the Cobra Silent Castle. Black Major's got some kind of iPad thingy or some kind of device, and I'm sure one of the things says Danger Rodent, and then <laughs> Baroness Spank something... Oh, yeah. I yeah. can't make it out. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's actually... Remember I was talking about the ColecoVision football thing? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. in the States back in the 70s, that was like a very popular handheld LED game. Right. And I'm sure they made like a, a European football yeah. equivalent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's what that was. Yeah,
0: very cool. Well, one other thing I wanted to ask as well, we get a brief appearance by Firefly in the... What's he? In the, he's in the ice cream truck. Mm. And... Oh, Thrum... I've just spotted Thrumman's Ice Cream. Is that John? yes uh, okay okay cool cool and who's the driver in the ice cream van you've
1: got to come up with a new jingle chief it's got to be named the cobras now
0: <laughs> oh god I
2: don't know
1: <laughs> I don't know. Shannon, do you want to take a stab at this?
2: I have no idea. I'd have to look in the script. Larry probably indicated some random.
1: It's an ice viper. Is (laughs) it? Oh, nice. (laughs) An ice viper driving an ice cream truck. I'll take credit for that then. (laughs) Well, you got the funnies, man. That's very, very funny. Ice Lovely Viper in touch. the ice cream truck.
0: Yeah, nice. nice.
1: Oh, of course. <laughs> what's, what's, uh,
0: what's Firefly doing here a second, actually? He's just blowing stuff up, is he? Well, that's what he does. That's his MO, He's yeah, I, I guess.
1: Blowing up the uh,
2: Collins residence. I don't get a shout-out for the page before where I have her eating Twiglets.
0: Ah, <laughs> yeah, I see it now. God damn, I hate Twiglets, <laughs> but I love that. That is amazing. I have
1: no idea what Twiglets are. Sorry, oh. I'm from Africa.
0: What's your, what's your connection with the UK then, Shannon? Because... You're quite well-versed in in UK culture, et cetera.
2: My dad was a studio musician. He was a drummer, and he did a lot of touring. And he was with the Everly Brothers for a long time. But oh, wow. they always oh. ended up touring Europe. And my dad loved England. He was a huge James Bond fan. And my, he loved Monty Python and Faulty Towers and all that stuff. And my mom was also very much into you know British culture. And so when they would go on vacation, that was usually where they would try to go was London or something. Oh, right. But my mom fell in love with Twiglets. And so whenever my dad would go to the UK on tour, he would leave with two suitcases and come back with three.
3: And one (laughs) of them
2: would be filled with Twiglets. And so, yeah, so it was just something that my dad kind of, you know, my parents got me into. We watched a lot of British dramas and comedy sitcom stuff. My mom still loves all the classic British comedies. So yeah, it's just something I kind of grew up with. And then I worked with a lot of the guys at Titan for a while, right? Yeah, and so there, a lot of the guys that used to be editors there are friends, personal friends. One, I introduced him to his wife. She was from the states, and she moved there, and they got married. Oh, nice. So yeah, I just you know, if I don't know something, I'll text them. I'll be like, dude, <laughs> you know, what's the equivalent of this in, in the UK?
0: Yeah, cool. No, that's cool. That Twiglets, I hadn't spotted that before. But that's a nice little touch. That's the things I like. These um, you know, these little. Easter egg things that won't mean anything to a big percentage of people, but those that do get the gag or get the reference, um, you know, brings a smile to the to the face. So that's uh, that's a very cool thing to do, and it's something that's not obscuring the overall bigger picture of the page or the story. You know, so what if it says twiglets? You know, doesn't doesn't detract from it at all, but um, enhances. Well, you it get
1: one some. and I get one, Chief. Go on. In the previous issue, yes. one of my favorite little Easter eggs is. You've given Windmill his own, like, helmet design. Oh, yes. Now, Windmill is a helicopter pilot, but he flies an experimental helicopter called the Skystorm, and he's got a codename Windmill. And you have managed to make the Skystorm outline into a windmill shape on his helmet. I don't know if you know exactly what I'm referring to, Shannon. No, I do, yeah. Damn it, man, that's a masterstroke. Was that was that all your baby?
2: Usually that kind of stuff, like if it was a logo, like a, a false, you know, like a quick one-off logo, something like that, that was me. Only because of if you don't know the vehicle or something, because it's more obscure. I was just trying to like, okay, this is who it is, this is the... Because he's wearing a helmet with a visor, like how are you supposed to know who it is?
1: Well, I'm a big fan of the Skystorm, and that is the first time I've seen that design. And I love it to bits. It's very clever. It actually looks like both the aircraft and an actual windmill. So mad props, buddy.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, I know you mentioned, Steve, about the the closing sequence, the silent um, throwdown, no pun intended, of all these Night Creepers. And I particularly enjoy the last page of the issue because that first panel, we get a Night Creeper and he's surprised by the new Snake Eyes. And I love that reflection in his goggles um, and then you get to see the new Snake Eyes in action, sword out, looking cool in this garb and basically doing his first piece of work as Snake Eyes to close the issue out. You know, really cool kind of rounding out of this story and the, the beginning of something new for, for this character that we've known and loved for so long in a completely new guise and what direction is it going to go in. So it kind of wrapped up that whole thing really nicely, even if we had to have you know the transformers and the artificial eye thing in the middle of it where larry had no clue what he was doing um supposedly writes one page at a time i'm not overly convinced that he does that but i'm sure he writes a little bit longer form but um yeah overall you know i kind of enjoyed this this little four issue arc i think it had loads of emotional beats in there introduction of of new characters and stuff so you know looking forward to moving on to the next issues actually
1: no doubt.
3: Yeah. yeah.
0: You say uh, Snake Eyes is new guys, Chief, but
1: you know, actually, know it it's uh, Snake Eyes yeah. version fifty nine from uh, two thousand
0: twelve. <laughs> okay, here we go, smart <laughs> ass. Well, uh, maybe that is a segue into uh, Steve talks about toys. Steve talks about toys. Ho ho. Steve talks about GI Joe. He talks about all the toys from the comic book and the animated show. Steve talks about toys. Steve talks about toys. Steve talks about toys. Steve talks about toys. What have you got for us this week? What
1: else could we talk about other than Snake Eyes? Just to whet our appetites, I'm going to read his very, very first file card just to keep it fresh in everyone's mind. Commando, codename Snake Eyes. File name, classified. Grade, E5. Birthplace, classified. Primary specialty, infantry. Secondary specialty, hand-to-hand combat instructor. Snake Eyes is proficient in 12 different unarmed fighting systems, karate, kung fu, jiu-jitsu, and is highly skilled in the use of edged weapons. He has received extensive training in mountaineering, underwater demolitions, jungle, desert, and arctic survival, and some form of holistic medicine. Qualified expert, all nato and warsaw packed small arms the man is a total mystery but he's real good at his job heck he's the best wow i wonder who was quoted as uh, saying that
3: hmm
2: someone who's
1: got a bit of street cred I, I i'm gonna i'm gonna throw my hat in the ring and say either stalker or rock and roll yeah maybe
2: Maybe. Maybe I'd go with Stalker. I mean, he was obviously distraught. Yeah, sure.
1: But you did uh, show uh, a weeping Rock and Roll in uh, at the the funeral. Well, Everybody so was, crying. Was, it was crying. Everyone was crying. Yeah, but Rock and Roll got a great close up. Uh, I kind of wondered what that was all about. Like, why Rock and Roll in particular? I suppose original thirteen. He had a long time with the Shadow Man.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: Normally at this point, Shannon, I would monologue for about ten minutes about oh, some Lord. or other specific <laughs> version of this figure, with the occasional interjection from Chief as to whether or not he had the toy or what memories he might be able to like draw out of his 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 memory, which he, by his own admission, is pretty shot. But oh, then instead, I need a bathroom break. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not gonna get off the, the hook that easily. This figure has or this character has seen close to 70 versions within the official Hasbro releases. Mm. I was wondering if you have a personal favorite design. You tended towards the goggles, which I already approve of. I, I never could understand the you know visor. the World War One shrapnel visor. But is, I mean, if you were to, to, to go through your reference material, which version would you say uh, inspired you the most, or, or did you want to emulate the most, or, or draw the most elements from?
2: When I started out on the book, and I, I got some flag for it early on, my first decision was to put everybody in the classic their classic costumes as much as possible, except where it was somebody's costume that I actually liked the second version better, or the first version better, or whatever so that was like that's why Destro went back to his original pent daddy kind of look mm. um <laughs> but that was my thing with snake eyes was you know he was one of the 13 he was like one of the original guys and i was always partial to the goggles from a visual like like if you were in a costume like that what if you're a ninja you don't want to reduce your amount of vision you want to increase it as much as possible you know you're in a situation where it's low light or whatever you want to, you don't want to be looking through a set of blinds so it didn't it never made any sense to me like some of the stuff when i approach it as an artist it's what is the reality of this you know would you want to do that is that how you would want to go into combat and so part of it was i always saw snake eyes as a very matter of fact kind of character i'm not going to wear a cape because it's gets in the way I'm not going to do this because it gets in the way, or I'm not going to wear that because it gets in the way. I'm going to carry my essentials, exactly what I need, because I'm here to do a mission and I'm coming home. And so that's how I approached it. And to me, the goggles made more sense. Plus, it was the original version. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, man. But that, that's my feeling on it.
0: So. I think I had, um, I never had the version one toy. I had the version two, and being a Action Force reader, early on before G.I. Joe where he was always depicted in that the version 2 with the visor always always tended towards that version I think he felt a little bit as a figure he felt a little bit meatier bit, bit, bit not quite as lean as that first one which I kind of liked as well but then surprisingly that's the only version of that figure I had now um, Ben had the version 3 and 4 as well but um, I only ever had that, that version 2. So, but I do really like that Commando look. So the 1 and 2 are my favourite looking ones. But from a toy point of view, I only ever had the second one. Well, what about yourself? You're not getting off the hook either, s Jobs. What versions did you have as kids? And what versions have you got now, seeing as you are still a collector of the toys?
1: Oh, man. Well, Christmas of 1990, when preschool broke up, I got Stalker version 2 with a kayak. And on Christmas Day, I was a lucky kid. I got to unwrap Snake Eyes version 3. That's the one with the two big trench knives, or okay. butterfly knives. That's the one that he got. Yeah. He
0: got that outfit off of the, what, the Payne Brothers, was it?
1: Ah, oh, Don't remind me. When I first read that comic, I was so disappointed. What? <laughs> he just basically nicked someone else's clothes? Oh, he's a ninja. <laughs> and a thief. No. Yeah. Everyth- <laughs> yeah. But you said it, Shannon. Everything has to be purpose driven. And that's Version three is all business. He's got combat boots, you know, adequate foot protection. He's got a little bit of armor on his forearms. He's got knives and grenades, um, an earpiece for communications. I mean, that look is very functional and really maxes out on weapons. Guns, swords, a blowgun. Awesome. The sword that can sheath on the backpack. Anyway, I'm going on a little bit uh, long now, but that version, yes. unfortunately, disappeared very quickly. I think he was my favorite figure and obviously some other child's favorite figure too, because it was pilfered from my collection, Early Doors, Oh no. which left me with uh, Snake Eyes version 4, which I got in uh, Christmas of 1992 and saw a lot of use. In fact, of the few toys that I have with me here in Australia from my childhood collection, I have my original Snake Eyes version 4 right here before me. And uh, need I say more, this, this version was made that much more cooler, if that's correct grammar, <laughs> that much cooler by the work of uh, the great Andrew Wildman, who's yeah. also guested on this show. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. He did fantastic work bringing uh, this piece of plastic, this lump of, of toy history in my hand to loving life on the pages of G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero.
2: I think he needs a moment alone with it.
0: <laughs> we won't get into yeah, it give me five minutes guys we'll, we'll, save, <laughs> this, we'll save this for another episode but um, very very quick 30 second thoughts S-Jubs on the uh, snake eyes in the, the retro line have him don't need him again Okay. sorry Hasbro has lost me as a consumer
1: forever okay not as
0: in you have the new snake eyes retro line figure but you have the original so why do you need a a... no
1: i i have the yeah well i have the the figure on which it's based and the figure that you know the exact facsimile that was released almost i don't know eight years ago now nine years ago now why would i buy this figure again i don't know i don't know it's baffling people say oh it's nice to get things at brick and mortar again but uh for an international that's never been an option you know, I would have to pay scalper prices whether I wanted the one from 2011, or whether I wanted the one from 2020. Anyways, Shannon, you weren't meant to be privy to the rants of a <laughs> rabbit toy collector, but yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Dude, Hasbro, I don't know, man. They
3: oh, also trust are me, John,
2: John Thurman has been quite vocal on his feelings on yes. this on Twitter. He is not happy with how they've conducted this launch.
0: Yeah,
3: yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: It yeah, it yeah. seems that, you know, and I am not in in that toy sphere at all, but I'm on the periphery and you know, I get most of my toy knowledge from being on this show, but uh it it kind of feels like from what other people are saying was other franchises seem to have have had, you know, retro updates, so, you know, or re-releases of figures based purely on retro lines apart from GI Joe which seems to have got shafted.
1: Yeah big time they have done everything they possibly could do in the three and three quarter inch uh, line they have reinvented the wheel several times they've done everything except the one thing that diehard collectors like me want more than anything else
2: fairness and the bikini is
1: a straight up one-to-one re-release of the classics yep. ghostbusters got it he-man got it yep. transformers got it why
0: didn't gi joe get it yep and again we're not we're not here to get into that debate but 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 and again i i don't know but is that doable was was that
1: is there some kind of restriction against that transformers have far more complex constructions and and less um homogenous constructions i mean like with gi joe your screw gauges are all the same size and the t hooks are all the same size and the o-rings are all the same size don't give me that bullshit argument that it's expensive to produce O-ring figures to these days. I mean, it's expensive to pr- to produce any toys these days. Tooling costs money. Yeah. So, yeah. but at least with the O-ring stuff, you know that we're going to buy it. Anyways, I'm going to dry my eyes because, yeah. Chief, <laughs> just this past week, I received a little bit of airmail. Okay. Limited edition. Yes. Talking Joe oh, trading cards. Oh, I forgot about those. I'm a happy boy. Chief... Once again, thank you, man. Very, very thoughtful gift. I mean who does that? Makes us into trading cards. It's the first time I've ever been a trading card and I I couldn't be more thrilled. Yeah, what you're I talking mean, about obviously. by the fact that you cannot recognise that it's me. Regular <laughs>
0: regular listeners will know that um I, I did a project unbeknownst to the other three co-hosts, current co-host SJUBs 7 and two previous ones, Ben and Chris, and I decided to make trading cards of the four four of us with, you know, backs of the cards giving us our histories, etc. cetera, and um, specialties. And I did post those up on the Facebook page, but I think I will post those up on the Twitter and Instagram feeds as well, so people can see. I did make a big spelling mistake on uh, Diagnostic 80, Chris McLeod's um, name. <laughs> I give him an extra C in McLeod on the front, but not on the back. So these are now kind of prototype beta cards. But um, they're a lot of fun to make, and I'm glad they arrived You know, eight weeks later in Australia when I posted them. But, um, yeah.
1: Yeah, they got through, man, in the age of corona. It gives me hope that my Joes might get through as well. Enough of
0: that. Enough of that, Jazz. Um, It's time for... It's a G.I. Joe pop quiz, pop quiz. It's a G.I. Joe pop quiz, pop quiz. Question two. So, Shannon, you've been invited along by Shockwave to a drug elimination force raid. Uh, There's sightings of Headman and the headhunters in the local area. You've been advised to take some canine help with you. Who do you take along on this drug bust? Do you take Order, Junkyard or Nasher? I would actually go with Nasha. Yeah, yeah, I like that choice Ding, 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 correct answer uh, We've confused a multitude of people Who have no idea about the Beano But uh, I've got some Beano questions for you later on So uh, we'll get to that okay. But uh, Nasha, great choice um, Right now though, it's time to confuse our US listeners Because it's time for Commonwealth Colloquialisms Play that jingle We got a pudding We got a pudding We're gonna over-egg that pudding Ain't got no criticisms We got some commonwealth colloquialisms Ooh, does our guest have a colloquialism? Oh, yes. Well, I, I don't know. I, I, remiss of me, I completely forgot to ask Shannon if he wanted to partake in this segment. Uh, this is where we, if you're not familiar, we come up with colloquialisms from the Commonwealth. It used to be British when it was me and Chris. Then when S-Jubs come in, we've got that Commonwealth flavour going on because of the South African <laughs> roots. Uh, and now we try to confuse our US listeners. But, um, may, or maybe Shannon can try and guess the colloquialisms. Oh, I'll mm-hmm. try. Okay, so S-Jubs, you're up first. Uh, What are you coming in with? South African, Australian to begin?
1: Oh, we're going to come in with the Aussie. Uh, Okay. What is a chippy?
0: A chippy? A chippy? I I think
1: you said this last week. Mmm, maybe. (laughs) But is the meaning what you're thinking I said it was? Okay,
0: well, I've got two possible answers. I don't know if Shannon wants to have a go first. Oh, I, I... My only guess would be a like a British chip,
2: which would be a french fry in the States. But that's a guess.
0: Does chief concur? Well, I would say chippy as in a a, a fish and chip shop yeah. would be a chippy. But I have got another one if it's not that. Oh, okay. Are you saying have it have is that one? or not? No, I want to it? hear you hedge. Let's, let's hedge. No, because the other one is also a British colloquialism. And okay. that would be a reference to a carpenter.
3: Oh, he
1: got it. Oh, nice. yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah, man. Yes. Artisans
1: like Chippies and Sparkies. Uh, Sparky would be an electrician, yep. Electrician, there
2: you a, go. Uh, oh, yeah, well, that makes sense, all right. Yeah, yeah very, good, very good. Aussies One's love carpentry. their
1: colloquialisms, I tell you.
0: Yes. Um, okay, my one time for my one. My British colloquialism is Yonks. Y-O-N-K-S. Uh, Shannon could take a stab at this.
2: The only thing I can guess, and I'm only guessing because I'm right now I'm drawing Geordies and Jocks, Jocks and Geordies, that it's a name for people from Yorkshire?
0: Uh, not that I'm aware of, no. Uh, okay. and we could have invented something, though. We could have invented something right here live on the Talking Joe podcast. Um, but uh, no, S-Job, do you want to have a go? Uh, yes, but uh,
1: Shannon, are you, are you thinking of Yonkers Maybe. Like, is, isn't yeah. there a, a, an area in the States called Yonkers?
2: Yeah, that's probably why I'm thinking it. But.
1: Ah, yeah. Uh, isn't on the East Coast? Uh, I yeah. might be mistaken. Yeah. Anyways, um, I think you are talking about something that was a long time ago. Yes. Yonks.
0: It is a general term for a long period of time. We haven't seen you for yonks. Ah. And it just means... Donkey's a, ears. We haven't seen you Donks. for ages. Yeah, or, <laughs> yes, yes.
3: And,
1: uh, All right, let's run us off with a South African. Um, yes, please. Choice. Spell that, please. C I <laughs> E. I've only ever is said it. Is it in a sentence. Uh, I would I would spell it C H Y S E, but that's once again and I don't think say it's, it for it's me very literal.
0: Choice. Choice. And if you used it in a sentence, would that give it away?
1: Absolutely. But I'm okay. using okay.
0: It in a sentence, anyways. Okay. Uh, uh. Uh, <laughs> let me just wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh, hey, mate. That 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 car is choice. <laughs> um, no. Uh, what what topping do you want in your ice cream? Uh, give me a large choice. <laughs> no, that doesn't work. A um, shave choice. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh,
3: so
1: um, okay, it? and put you out your misery, gentlemen. Go uh, I'm going to chase a Betty.
2: Oh, yeah, that helped.
0: You're going to chice <laughs> a Betty. Well, Betty, you have used before to, yes, mean, a, that to, mean? to mean a hottie or a girl. Yes. You're going to chice a Betty. You're going to chat up a girl. There you go, bro. You're tuning a bit. You're
1: chising. Yeah. There you go. Nice.
0: That that would
1: be a South African colloquialism for chatting up a a, a woman. Chising.
0: Very good. Very good. Very good. Um, There'll be more confusion next week, as always. (laughs) Um, But right now, um, we're going to close the show out with a little bit of... uh, we asked you a question, you being the listeners of this podcast, and you gave us some answers which we're going to now read out because we asked you a question. Very good. Well, basically, the question was just as um, simple as we've got a fantastic guest, Shannon Galant, coming on the, to the show, and have you got any questions that you want to put to him? And uh, maybe me and s Jobs might even have some more questions. Whoa, the lights have gone out in the office. I'm basically recording this show from the work office today, because I had to come into the office for the first time in four months. And I'm in one of these rooms where the lights are motion controlled. So I've just got to get up from my seat a second, we'll wave dance. my arms around to turn... There you go. To turn the lights back on. Jeez, how much activity does it take to sit off the phone? Oh, yeah, right. Exactly, exactly. Um, so let's see what we've got here. Um, Mark uh, said, in on the Facebook said, we've already talked about the deadline question, but... Um, He's mentioned about your approach to drawing and that he's heard somewhere that you actually draw to a smaller scale than than the, the kind of standard, um, I guess, UK, uh, European, we'd say A3, but U.S. would be, what, 11 by 17 style. But maybe you draw on a smaller scale. Is that right? Yes, I do. Okay.
2: Originally, when I was first on the book, like the first half of the book, I guess, uh, I was actually drawn on 8.5 by 11, which is like a standard letter-sized paper in the U.S. Okay. Uh, the reason for that was basically to try and, you know, get stuff out faster. Right. Um, I also, like we were talking about earlier, I have a tendency to over detail things. I get too involved. And so drawing at a smaller size also limits how much space you have. So you don't spend so much time on detail because there's just not the room for it. Right. Uh, so it was, it was something that I had actually picked up from Travis Charis who was at San Diego one year and I was flipping through his, his portfolio. He and is amazing. And you know how detailed
0: his stuff oh, is. Oh, it's
2: insane. Love it. But he works on an 85 by 11 Like he, he essentially takes a, a standard 11 by 17 sheet and cuts it in half, you know, the marble paper that he used to get. Yeah. And so I was like, well, crap, you know, if he can do it and get away with it, I'll do it. And I've since moved back up. I'm actually using like a Japanese B4 size. So it's a little bit smaller than eight and a half by eleven, but I can get a larger page on it than, say, a ledger size paper, which is in this states ten by fourteen. Right. I don't know, 11, eleven by fourteen, something like that. But anyway, yeah, I do, I do work smaller, and okay. it's partly I just can't see the whole page. I like being able to kind of get the whole thing into my vision when mm. I'm working. Uh, right. So yeah, cool. just, it's you, a little faster. You
0: mentioned um Travis there um what what were the kind of artists that you were following? Kind of growing up, or as you know, as you were trying to break into the industry, who were who were some of your favorites?
2: Uh, well, you know, I grew up during the kind of like strong X Men Marvel run, so I was a, obviously a Byrne fan, John Byrne fan. Yeah, I was a Perez fan for his Teen Titan stuff. Um, then I got into like Adam Hughes because he he became like you know the big cover artist. Yeah. But the guys that I've always followed and I still follow today are guys like Jackson Butch Geiss, who was uh, on Winter Soldier and. He you know, helped create the swashbucklers at Marvel. And I actually have the joy of kind of, not, I wouldn't say we're friends, but we communicate through email quite a bit. Okay. Uh, so it's nice to kind of talk to one of your idols. and yeah, He yeah. sends me pencil pages, and I get to just sit there and drool like I'm Weird. 10 years old again.
0: He did a great series with um, Abnett and Anand. He's he? resurrection man at DC. Yeah. That's a great yeah. book. And yeah. the other
2: guy would probably be Garcia Lopez, who is the face of DC, you know, production or whatever you want to call it because it's like all the licensing stuff from the 80s 70s late 70s yes to almost early 90s is his artwork and he's just the most huggable son of (laughs) a bitch. when when the first time i met him was at baltimore con and the following year he was there again it was actually my birthday like literally my birthday and i walked up to his table and he's he's not english is not his first language so he usually has someone with him a guy named fred chamberlain who's really nice and i said you know what mr lopez mind giving me a hug it's my birthday and he said what and i was like i'd really love to give him a hug he's one of my idols you know and so he goes over and he says something to jose and jose looks at me and he kind of shrugs his shoulders and he gets up and he comes over and gives me a hug and john thurman took the picture and he posted it. it was like i've never seen a smile this big on gallant's face you know and it's it's become a tradition and every time i see him at a show. He's he's given into it at this point, right? And other people have given him hugs at other shows and sent me pictures. So it's Ah. it's become this thing, (laughs) wicked. But but yeah, he's just so cute, and he's you know he's he's a great guy. He's the sweetest guy on the planet.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Mark's also said here, and we've kind of touched on this. um, He wondered about any suggestions you were able to give for characters or story points in. Uh, But I guess if you've only really kind of had one conversation with larry he was kind of fixed on what he wanted so was there ever any characters that you really wanted to draw but never got the chance or with this kind of cast of characters i guess you can sneak in pretty much anyone you want on certain pages
2: yeah the traditionally my favorite character even though i got into it because of storm shadow my favorite character was actually spirit yes uh my parents were also into native american art or american indian art when i was a kid my mom has a large collection of american indian jewelry This was back in the 70s, too, when it was movies like Billy Jack and, you know, there was always an American Indian on, you know, the Six Million Dollar Man or the Bionic Woman in some way or shape or form at some point. And Spirit in the cartoon was always the guy that fought Storm Shadow. It was never actually Snake Eyes. It was always, you know, Spirit and Storm Shadow getting into it. So in my head, he was at the same level of fight skill. And so I would sneak in Spirit whenever I possibly could. I wish Larry would have given him a little bit more love when I was on the
0: book well I think you managed to we managed to see more of spirit on your tenure on the book than we'd previously seen so that's. I I was a big spirit fan as well you know going back to those the kind of early 30s issues from Marvel when you know the the cat all fall down with snake eyes in the cabin and Destro and Firefly and all that kind of stuff when he was around there so big fan of that character but um, uh, Rock says I don't know if this is a question for another time but he says do you like dark meat? Oh god <laughs> Man. Uh, but maybe, maybe so, that...
2: so, do you guys know that story?
0: Uh, I do not know that story. No.
2: Okay. Well, Baltimore hates me as a city. For some reason, it hates me on a spiritual level. My parents must have done something. Or, <laughs> okay. You know, it's cursed by God. But every Baltimore show, something horrible happens, like it just freakish or weird. Like the last time I was in Baltimore, there was actually a murder outside my hotel. Oh no! And I was coming back from hanging out with Brian Shearer, and I couldn't get in my hotel because the cops had like cordoned off the area and the building was on lockdown and it's like two o'clock in the morning and I'm banging on a window to try and get someone to let me in. Uh, But one year I was walking around downtown Baltimore and I've gone to a liquor store to get like some wine or something. And this woman who was like a boulevard away from me, so it's like four lanes of traffic on the other side of the meet, she was this older African-American I guess I'm guessing she was a prostitute
3: because yep, yep.
2: she screams at me from across the street. You like black meat? <laughs> and I'm like, no, ma'am, I, I'm fine. Thank you for asking. Uh, have a pleasant evening. And I just try to like scurry off as fast as I could. Well, Rock loved that story because anything out of place, Rock will enjoy. Right. <laughs> Rock is an interesting character if you ever get to meet him at a show. Cool. So. But he loves that story for some reason. And,
0: you, and you've stopped going to Baltimore now, or are you are just waiting for the next thing to happen when you get there?
2: It's more of just to go and see what's going to happen whatever <laughs> year. At least it, you're
0: prepared, I guess. It's always something. There's always <laughs> something at that show. Cool, cool. Um, Gary said, um, did you have a good relationship with editorial, or was there much involvement with those, or were you kind of self-sufficient?
2: Brian and I always describe the book as being on autopilot. Because we had it down to such a system, we never heard from the editors much. Unless Larry had an issue with something that had to be fixed, or Hasbro, I think, only chimed in like two or three times on my entire run. Uh, and one time it was, they wanted the Baroness to have wider hips. I don't know why, but mm, that was an issue okay. for them one issue. Well, uh, interesting. Hey. <laughs> nice. Could you remember
1: what the other issue was that they had? Uh,
2: usually it was just they wanted to include something or. Didn't want a character holding, like I think maybe early on I had characters in the background maybe with a cigarette or something, they're like they didn't want Uh, that in it or that kind of thing. But yeah, usually they didn't say anything. That was really the only art change they ever asked for. Interesting. But no, the editors, basically because they knew the book was going to come in and be finished, I hardly ever heard from anybody. That's why Brian and I got so upset when they relaunched the book like a second or third time. like They came out with a new G.I. Joe and they were like, G.I. Joe returns! And Brian and I were like, what are you talking about? It's we're never like been gone. 50 issues in, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm. So. G. Matthew said, why did you leave the book? We've already discussed that about the $6 million man. And Yorktown Joe, we've talked about toy reference. Now, we mentioned briefly about referencing from toys, but did you get sent any toys by Hasbro, or how did you end up sourcing the toys themselves that you were using for reference? Or was it mainly just like you mentioned, online resources?
2: Yeah, most of it was online resources. The only toys I have, which I also mentioned in that tweet, um, I actually got from Thurman.
0: Right. Okay. Like, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Because John goes to so many shows, he like worked at the Virginia Con show a lot, and if he saw something, he knew I wasn't someone that had to have the pristine box ready toy. Right. It was. It just had to have all the parts, or you know, the important bits were still in one piece. And, yeah. So he picked up the his tank for me, and gave it to me, and okay. he sent me a couple of new figures, like the reissues.
1: Was one of them mainframe by any chance? No. Ah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs>
2: he, he gave me a spirit, he gave me a bat, and he gave me um, the viper. Yeah. Okay.
1: okay. It's always been something that I love drawing attention to, is the fact that uh, your reference for mainframe has always been his 25th anniversary re-release. Uh, they, they renamed him DataFrame, I think, yeah. for some rights issue. But he has the most unique helmet. And yeah. I've often joked with Chief that it looks like, I don't know, something from Transformers, like Rodimus Prime's kind of bonce or head. It's kind of got vents on it and like a ridge along the top. You know, the, the vintage, vintage, original mainframe has a far more rounded helmet. But uh, obviously the one that fell uh, in front of your peepers is that, uh, that data frame update
2: yeah and I think that was the reference uh, drawing that I was using like i th- i think because it was i was using the Marvel one or whatever it was yeah and then when I got the they reissued the yearbooks or whatever i d w put out the um it was all the model sheets from the cartoons mm. and they put it out in two volumes but the the mainframe in that one has the more rounded helmet yes yeah so as time went on, I would like bring in some of the extra details that were in the model sheet but the rounded helmet always looked like one of those ball helmets or something, you know, uh, like yeah, the guys yeah, on the station yeah. in spaceball. <laughs> and it was just too round. Yeah, you know, it always felt like they were just wearing a hollowed-out bowling ball or something on their head. And yeah, it was just
0: yeah. damn it! I will never look at that vintage mainframe the same way again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, interestingly, when um, Andy Wildman came on, he—I'm pretty sure he mentioned that he was just getting sent boxes and boxes of toys from Hasbro um no, for reference the they don't reference. do it then. yeah no, i was, do I was that gonna that yeah. say you know back when i guess the book was probably selling more and it was a marvel property then you like know, toys were selling more yeah, yeah 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 there
1: was like a late boom in gi joe when Kirkberg zigion got brought back into the fold as the sort of a marketing guy the sales had dropped off in the late 80s but he managed to nurse it back to a very viable brand between like 1990 and 1992 and then it died because of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and all that jazz. But uh, the bottom line is, like, when Andy Wildman came on, G.I. Joe was back.
3: Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Big um, time. A
0: couple of questions from me. One is, are there any particular characters or comic book series that would be, not necessarily a dream job, but something that you'd really like to sink your teeth into or have a go at, you know, at, uh, at any particular publisher?
2: When they... Uh, reissued swashbucklers they did like a kickstarter for it and that was jackson Geis's book that he worked on with bill mantlow yeah i loved that series as a kid i just thought it was the coolest thing because it was kind of like steampunk before steampunk you know it was an outer space series but they had ships that looked like the old kind of like frigates and, and stuff with yes. the sails yeah, yeah, yeah. and i love that book and i wanted to be on it so bad but when they did like a new set of issues they picked some guy from Italy, and the writer was actually like a, a screenwriter from Hollywood. And so I didn't get on that book. I, I still wanted to do oh, okay. that. And just treated it as like a straightforward sci-fi, you know, fully rom- detailed, yeah, developed-out yeah. Star wars typey world. But yeah, that that was my dream job.
0: That'd be cool. That'd be cool. Um, And then also, um, just wanted to talk very briefly about the Beano, because this is the reference we're making only about Nasha, the dog, which is... Dennis the Menace's dog, and not to be confused with the, the US yes, version Dennis of Dennis here. the Menace. I'm talking about the original Dennis the Menace. Yeah. Um <laughs> <laughs> Smack uh, talk. Which is, I used to get the Beano comic as a kid, weekly comic, and I must have had, I don't know, 500, 600 issues of that. and
2: Which is like, know, what, six months worth?
0: Which is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the productivity was off the charts on that comic, but... Um, yeah. South
1: African kids had to make do with the annuals. Ah. Beano and a
0: dandy every yeah, year. Yeah, beano and dandy, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah mm. dandy was calling it. Dan for me, I think you're either a beano kid or a dandy kid, and I was definitely beano, but I would still keep an eye on the you know, the dandy and get the annuals for the dandy. Um but, well, but it
1: came down to whether or not you preferred Dennis the Menace or Desperate Dan. Yeah, I mean Des-
0: now Desperate Dan is a is a monster. I love Desperate Dan. But um Me too. You know, man. you you obviously done You know, quite a lot of work on that franchise now, on that property. Um, How did that come about? And is that stuff you enjoy?
2: It is something I enjoy. I actually got work with that because of Ned Hartley, who writes Banana Man. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Ned was one of my editors at Titan. He was actually kind of like my first editor in the sense of like I was working with him. And he and I just kind of became friends. And when I went over to London for the first time since like high school or whatever, he was having his engagement party that weekend and invited my wife and I to come and we went and hung out with him. That's where I met Andrew James, who is the person I introduced to his wife. And that's Steve White, who used to be a colorist at Marvel UK and worked yeah. on Transformers. So anyway, but it was through Ned who was writing Banana Man and they had an artist that had to go on maternity leave. And he was like, well, I know a guy that could do it you know, because he did Shrek for Titan. And so I sent them some samples and they gave me some work and so i've been more of like a fill-in artist for them like if somebody's on maternity leave or gets sick like i just did Bastard kids because uh sutherland was ill okay and now i'm i'm doing tricky dicky right now and the editor they call it editor reader where they have like you know kids sending their photos right right so i'm doing that and then i'm also doing work on the the dandy annuals i'm doing jocks and Geordies.
0: Oh yeah, cool. You mentioned that, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, for those for those that don't know, probably a bit late we should have upfronted this. Um these are these are all ages comics, by the way, <laughs> from the UK. So go go and check those out, the Beano and the Dandy and all that good stuff there. But um yeah, yeah, excellent, excellent. Um Thank you so much for gracing us with your presence on this pleasure. fine day. Uh, Mr. Gallant, it's been an absolute joy uh, to to have you on, pick your brains, talk about the issues. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe we can get you back on, back on the show at some point when we come to the, the closing issues of your run on real American hero, or, you know, when we discuss $6 million man, which we will do at some point, we can get you back on the show.
2: I'd love to. It's been fun.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, uh, where can the the fine folks who are listening check out your current works and uh, what have you got going on in the pipeline that people need to check out from you?
2: Uh, they can find me online at just slgallant.com I have an Instagram which I think is just artist. but right now it's pretty much I'm working on Beano. There's some other stuff that I'm talking to people about but you know, nothing's been nailed down. So that's the easiest place to find me right now and I post drawings that I do and some of the sneak peeks at the Beano stuff and various superhero drawings on my on my instagram and twitter account that that yeah i'm
0: pretty easy to find cool good stuff good stuff um you can find us in all the usual places that's talking underscore joe on twitter talking joe comics on instagram talking joe comics at gmail.com or talking joe a gi joe podcast on the facebook where can the good people find you mr S sjub7 G. I. Johannesburg, man, cause I'm into G. I. Joe, <laughs> and I come from
1: Johannesburg. Whoa! Oh, really? I come from Cape Town. Boom.
0: <laughs> yep. But with all that said and done, we'll catch you down the road. We've been talking Joe, and we're all out of Joes, especially Snake Eyes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yo, yo Joe! Yo!